I wasn't terribly surprised. I thought it made sense, dramaturgically. Jake, what are we watching? This week in the show, boys, we're watching Napoleon. You think you're so good because you have boats. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, I've got so much to talk about. Oh, with here we go, here we go. What's that? Huh? Help! Help! Stop! Hey, stop! No one's ever going to find me out here. <laughs> oh, when did dogs start migrating? Hey! I'm talking to you. Oh, I didn't see you. My name's Muffin. I mean, Napoleon. I'm Birdo. Birdo Lucci. What are you doing out? Oh! What are you doing out here? I'm trying to get down. you got to help me. I need to warn you. The storm is near. Napoleon is coming. Personal look at French military leaders' origin and swift, ruthless climb to emperor, viewed through the prism of Napoleon's addictive, volatile relationship with his wife and one true love, Josephine. Is it really, though? Yes. It kind of is. Mm. I mean, like, (laughs) straight off the bat, I think that's very clearly what the film is and not what the film we wanted it to be. (laughs) Yeah. um, (laughs) Which is the 1995 dog film Napoleon? Oh, that's, that's what we wanted you're it to be. About. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, it's, it just sounds like an Australian film from the clip you played. There you go. But I actually also meant Ridley Scott's film. Yes, but hot take. I will let you boys get started because you were both much more Napoleon historian connoisseurs than I am. By connoisseurs, I've watched addictively the oversimplified Napoleonic Wars videos, <laughs> which, to be honest, actually puts you in a really good place to watch this film, because then all of the battles come up, you're like, oh, I know who wins this, or I know why this goes horribly wrong. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's that channel is, like, the best way of learning history, I think, where it's, like, does the, the whole visual aspect and the, the humour and all that, but... I think Stephen might get the title of a Napoleon nerd when he's talking sure. about the the letters and um, all that because that didn't quite cover that. Yeah, yeah no, to, to out myself here, yeah, I definitely am like, I think the three things I love most in life are movies, sport, and Napoleon, as I always say, like my holy <laughs> trinity. So th- this was obviously a really... I was quite excited for this film, obviously. Um, as the material started to come out, I started to go, oh, no, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> to oh, be yeah. honest, um, but I was still excited. Um, to be honest, Loki, I'm a bit more excited for the Spielberg TV series that's mm. coming up. Um, and that, so that's based on the Kubrick unfinished script. Yeah. Is that what? Yeah, the Kubrick scripts? unproduced scripts. Yeah. Cool. yeah, which will be. I think that that's probably the more exciting Napoleon project coming up. Spoiler. I don't think many of us liked the film in the room. I'm not sure actually. I haven't spoken to you, but I'm, I'm getting that vibe. Um, I was bored. Yeah. Just like mm. bluntly. I was like genuinely bored, and I—I I mean, I just come off a day of work. It was a night screening, but I had two people in my cinema legitimately fall asleep, and one of them was snoring. So that was <laughs> like to the point where he, it was an elderly man, and his, I assume, wife had to like nudge and wake him up. Oh, like yeah. He snored loudly. So um. But that was my first takeaway. Like, there are things I liked about the film. Mm. But at its core, like you said, I, perhaps because it's such a massive... Although technically it's only about 15 or 16 years, the passage of time over the, the film, that there's so much stuff that needs to be covered in that 15 or 16 years yeah. that because of the limit, whether the, the two-hour cut, and I don't even think a four-hour cut, you'd be able to mm. get everything. But because of the story, I think... Scott wants to try and tell 
it actually takes away from all the things that maybe people would be really compelled and interested in. And, and then like you said, Jake, where it's mm-hmm. like, you're even asking the, the driving point. It's like, this film is really trying to explore that relationship between Napoleon and Josephine, but does it even do that <laughs> super intricately mm-hmm. and well? Yeah, no, definitely. That That's, that's something that like, um, the history nerd comes out at me a little bit there because the, I didn't have an issue with the fact that they centered the Napoleon and Josephine relationship as like the central story of of the of the way of telling Napoleon's mm-hmm. life because it is actually an interesting way to interpret his life as essentially being a simp. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but to but to to be honest, there's actually there's actually a lot to unpack there. But the thing that they didn't really do that well at all, to be honest, was um, give either of their characters a sense of what what they're doing all this for mm. um it's all it's all sort of depicted in like a pseudo documentary format where we're just watching characters do what they're doing for who knows what reason like why do we th- why does napoleon care about france why does napoleon want to do this why does he want to fight britain like it, none of it, it it's mm. depicted in a way of like a factual statement so like oh, it felt very wikipedia yeah it felt like the cliff notes sort of, of yeah. napoleon's life and and when you do that, you, th- there's so much to explore in that relationship with Josephine because one, for one fact that they didn't show is that she was an older woman than him and she had come mm. from a divorce, obviously. Um, and what, there was a lot of stuff there with manipulation going on. She was sort of underpinning his power in France. Um, she was a ce- pseudo-celebrity in and of herself. And there's a lot to explore there that you could if you give a perspective of what happens when Napoleon's not around for her, but we just don't see that. We just see them interact together. Um, to be honest, I found unless what, she's cheating on him. Unless she's cheating on him, then and then, then, then and then that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To be honest, that's all you really ever see, which is very historically accurate. But um, <laughs> the to be honest, I just found like a lot of the performances to be incredibly flat as well. I found Joaquin to be mm. lifeless as hell. Like nothing about what he was doing to me was exciting or characterizing Napoleon in any way. And I think that's because the whole first act falls so flat. Like there's n- like for me, the film did pick up in certain points, but it was more in the middle section. Mm-hmm. Um, but the start of the film, I mean, like straight off the bat, Napoleon wasn't there when Marie Antoinette was beheaded, but whatever, let's well, ignore that, that yeah. for the symbolism yeah. of what it's trying to show. But you just introduced him as a character who's already a high ranking military leader. Um, mm. he wins this battle that you don't really have any context for, um, which no, sort his- of thrown run into it. Yeah, I'm not particularly always a fan of, like, showing everyone's life from, like, being a child and then, like, going all the way up. But if you are trying to tackle his entire life, there's a lot of context missed there and there's a lot of, like, understanding of of who he is. I would actually... uh, And I'll echo that because a big part of this film, or at least the character construction of Napoleon in this particular depiction, Mm. is this sort of Oedipus relationship with his mother. Mm. And it's underpinned in that first part and then it transitions into his relationship with Josephine. Even Josephine has lines where she's referencing being like his mother Mm. in the film. Mm. And it's interesting because that's... Where does that come from? That origin of that perspective, why he likes his mum so much. And his mum appears in the film, but in this... Almost this, like, distant sort of... Still has that power, but it doesn't really invoke anything like I said it's lifeless we don't really so know where it comes from it, she comes in to be like your you know your swimmers are totally fine because of that 18 year old and then she just like disappears again like we don't see her die in the context of the <laughs> yeah. film she's like there for these little segments mm. but not in the same way where it's like in the opening aspect where Napoleon's pulling a cannonball out of a, a corpse a of a horse and to send that to mother. It's like, okay, well, this guy clearly has a weird relationship with his mum, yeah. but we don't, exp- it doesn't get explored when mm. she shows up. I'm, I'm sitting there going like, okay, we're going to start to see some weird sort of mother power dynamics between the mum, his mum and, and Josephine. But, doesn't get explored. Mm. I think. I think for sure some of that is on the cutting room floor in the four-hour version. I think. Right. That, I think that that's the most obvious place where there will be extensions. Mm. Um, the start of the film, to be honest, I think that there's a lot there that they could have, that they've probably clipped out for the sake of, of interest. People, people, pro- get to that first battle as quick as possible. Yeah, yeah get to that and- first battle. Get to him yeah. rising to emperor as quickly as possible. But like, to be honest, there's so many sections of his film of his life where, the, for my opinion, the best Napoleon film to date is the Waterloo film and that just mm. focuses on Waterloo because that is in and of itself an incredible uh, part of his life and point of his life where Josephine has died and you know he's losing the battle and what's he fighting for anymore and there's a lot characteristically to explore there 
It's a little like the military. Steve Jobs film where I mean, yeah. the specifically the one that that jumps to those three time periods. Yeah, where it's like by focusing on these microcosmic moments in his life, you're able to showcase the wider character at play and how you don't they need represent. to show everything exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and as compared film, to the other Jobs film, where it is just. <laughs> That linear beat one, beat two, beat three, yeah. beat four, and this is kind of what this Napoleon film kind of falls into that. Track. It kind of simultaneously is doing and showing way too much, and also not showing not enough. enough at all. Yeah. Which is why I imagine you're most excited for a mini series version of this story. Yeah, for sure. I think if, if if you want to take that approach, if you want to take the approach of we're going to play this thing out from start to the end of his life, right? Mm. The only way to do that is a TV series. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's so much, and there's so much nuance in the character of Napoleon, like. Rather than just portraying him as a like a brat or like like a, to be honest, like I found it like borderline like racially like loaded against the French. To be honest, I feel like, like it must have been. <laughs> I think I think one of the big things, and Lucinda brought this up, and I actually agree with her. I was like, at first, she was like, "Why don't they have French accents?" And I went, "Well, some films go with the and particularly Scott films where he mm-hmm. goes." Everyone has American accents, despite the fact that we're in Rome, like ancient Rome. Mm. Everyone has American accents. But this film immediately goes, which I find annoying, is the fact that he has an American accent, but then is surrounded by British French people. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I sort of, and the problem is, I said to her, and I think this comes back to the way at least Scott does it, and other more traditional films used to do it, is the French all have American accents. We're just assuming that we're cutting out the the mm. French aspect, mm. and but they're they're basically when they're talking to people, they have a French accent. We as the viewer are subjectively just seeing them with that accent. That mm. doesn't work when people when French it's people the same start with the speaking. Language actually speaking. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work when when French people start having British accents, and there are actually British depictions in the film. Yes, because then it's like. How does that It sticks work? out like a sore thumb. Because if every other country, which every other country does, when the, the Russians have Russian accents, the Polish have Polish accents, the British have British mm. accents, the French should then either have... They should just have American accents or they have to have French accents. They can't have a mix of whatever people feel like speaking mm. at, in that particular moment. That's always such like a minefield, I reckon. Hey, like, how do you deal with that? I think the best version of that ever done to anything is... Um, has, have, has anyone seen the TV show Vikings? Yes. Yeah, what they do with that show, which is when I somebody... talked about this on the show, I think. Yeah. This is incredible. Like, I genuinely think this is so genius, what they do, where basically if a character doesn't understand the language, like, contextually, of another person, they speak in that specific language. But mm. if those two people understand the language, they just speak English to each Fa- other. Exactly. And it's fantastic. Brought it up. Yeah, I brought it up on the show because it is. It's the perfect way of being like, that's how we separate culture in this. Because especially when we've got... Um, when they go over and they're invading like Northumbria and stuff, like we've got the Northumbrian speaking Northumbrian, and yeah. it's really cool because that's the way of separating. It. And it and it does work. I mean, like we go back to Gladiator; it's not a problem that people point out that everyone's speaking American. <laughs> like, mm. and no one ever brings up that problem. That's because it's, there's that consistency there, where it's like we're just that's from the get go. That's the suspension yeah. of disbelief. But this film's so inconsistent with. And then they start speaking French in random bits. Like, there's a sequences in that weird sort of embassy where politicians of countries are, where they start suddenly speaking their native tongue, and you're like, what is going on? I just want some consistency here. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> to, to, to have them speak, to have them have a British accent, some of them, is so strange, because this film is so politically loaded, like... I mean, like, it takes, it takes, like, the really lazy approach, I feel, of viewing the Napoleonic Wars as, like... A net good thing from Britain, um, because essentially you're looking at a country that overthrew like some hor- like a horrific reign of mm. of of monarchy leaders and kings and queens that essentially like sent the country into absolute poverty, um, and they overthrew these people and and consuls took charge to to speak on the behalf of the French people, and mm. eventually the smartest and most powerful came to the top in a sort of democratic, slightly <laughs> interesting, <laughs> ambiguous way. But, um, and then the British essentially said, nah, we, we don't like the idea of like the people being able to overthrow the monarchies. So we're going to essentially take these out and reinstate the monarchy. And like viewing mm. that as like the, <laughs> like the net positive thing to do. Right. Um, I just, I just don't really like the portrayal of like the war itself. Mm. Um, I guess cause I, so I wrote, this is the first thing I wrote down when I walked out of the cinema is this film more than most films begs the question, like what obligation do filmmakers have when representing history and historical figures? 
because it's you're right it's not just the betrayal of napoleon that is very divisive <laughs> but you're right it's it's like the sides that this film is clearly taking in some of these conflicts so i i just it's tricky it's picking and choosing too i mean i think the film really paints this joaquin phoenix this napoleon depiction he is from the onset basically depicted in this like you said this one a subservient aspect but he's actually just like in that opening battle he's lucky like he's lucky he we don't actually see any of that military acumen like he does we don't it doesn't talk at all about what actually how he was managed to push and expand you know it brushes over oh we've got italy and and poland and and all of these other countries now under our thumb and it's like but how do we get here because the character i've seen on screen is spending all the time being he is he's a bumbling buffoon (laughs) he's pushing the head of a mummy or like putting his face up against a mummy like there's a weird sex scenes (laughs) yeah And, and and i i found that fascinating that they really just don't or or even the aspect of him how he became emperor that whole sequence basically is just he runs a crown no when he runs away only to get the military and his brother to be like no go back in we've got the military and the funny thing is the trailer this i was sitting there when this sequence was unfolding the trailer makes him out like such and i it's It's such a cool moment it's like they make in the trailer they're trying to make him out like he's this big baller emperor (laughs) and Obviously, Is that's that, deliberate. That yeah, there's yeah. this deliberate aspect to be like, let's make him out like the biggest boss character in the trailer, only for you to come to the cinema and be completely he's underwhelmed. Like, he's running where away. he's like, <laughs> oh, there's, tell me, there's not a snake in your bed. Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. please. I mean, I wrote some of this stuff down, and some of this is very, very minute and subtle, and some of this is a bit more obvious in terms of his very childlike sort of idiot idiosyncrasies in here. Um, I love the and th- this might have been real because, like you said, seeing with the letters, there's the letter he writes to Josephine where he's basically telling her how to compliment him and her letters back to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that a, is that a real letter? Yeah, no. So, so yeah, so yeah. Nap- Napoleon's letters were hilarious and very famous because he essentially like completely simped over Josephine and like <laughs> he he was so terrified of like um adultery and basically right. like being cheated on while he was gone that like he would consistently like abandon <laughs> like the jobs and roles and yeah. come back and come rushing back to France and Paris whenever he heard of anything um but like and th- and that stuff is really interesting to explore because that is a side of the character of Napoleon which is not really given credence in the history books mm. um all too much and i always i'm always there for like reinterpreting historical figures as like real people and that's something that you can use to humanize him but like you said zeke like the the acumen of his like he so napoleon amongst any like serious historical scholar will tell you like in terms of like actual generals it's like napoleon massive gap caesar hannibal alexander the great mm. like like mass like he's like by far and away like the greatest like military mind of all time and there's nothing there that, no. that, like there's no. like he's portrayed as lucky he's portrayed as like um a bit cunning but in no way like is he like masterminding plans like well, like wow like he put like <laughs> like a few cavalry up on a hill like holy shit like what a fucking move bro <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's not the, the cannons and- man is so funny <laughs> it got to the point anytime someone insulted him I'm, like, I'm expecting a hard cut to him just cannoning this boy it is quite interesting because there is none of that aspect in there like the fact that he brought in like a core system that allowed him to move like move, his men move quicker there's so many mm. like the innovations mm. he invented public school <laughs> like like, what, like <laughs> Like, that's a crazy and thing. And even, like, the emperor aspect, like, they play that, like, scene out where he's just basically just kind of bumbles in. And, yeah, he gets that powerful moment where he puts the crown on his own mm-hmm. head and stuff. But then, like you said, he doesn't talk about, like, church reforms or the or the fact that, like, these actual political decisions, or there isn't anyone in the room that is, like, echoing the fact that how did someone basically coming from nothing get a whole country to be like, yeah, he should lead us in a mm-hmm. monarchical fashion? There was none of that, uh, like none of that public perception until, well, basically he comes back to France after his like first exile stint, where we get a little glimpse of 
the where France is like, nah, we we want him back. Like that, we get that he's, military he's like, sequence. Hey guys, he's... and they're all like, we immediately forgive you. No, no, but it, the, 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 <laughs> but this this is the thing about that. So the, I was really excited for that moment because that is like a massive moment, not in just Napoleon's life, but in like history, mm. because that. Basically, what he was exiled. Wasn't what he? factually happened was he yeah. was exiled, and then he came. He came back, obviously, because he wasn't under that much guard on Elba on his first island. And when he returned, he was met by his general, General Hay, and essentially they pointed the guns at him, and they all started chanting "Vive l'Empereur!" And like that actually mm. factually happened. Yeah. And he walked back into Paris and took the city of Paris without firing a single bullet because he was so beloved by his people. And the complexity of that versus like showing a character who's just in this film is objectively just like a awful person is portrayed to have like, sl- like be responsible directly for like millions of deaths and that mm. sort of thing. Like to have no nuance around that and is so boring. That's yeah, the consensus. Yeah. I mean, that final title card yeah. talks about some of his biggest victories, but only, Oh, French lives lost, French lives lost, yeah. French mm. lives lost. And then, so you, the Scott is very much taking an anti-Napoleon yeah. perception here. And, I, look, that's fair enough, but like you said, look at the context of the time. Monarchs were sending people to deaths. I mean, there's a there's an actual moment when the the sniper has Napoleon in his crosshairs, and there's that that monarchical gesture from Wellington where he's like, "Ah, oh, no, no, we're not. We don't do it that way. Yeah. Like, we're going to just send thousands to their deaths." And that said. is such an awkward way they edit that beat into the film as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, nah. but it is all it's very transparent. Yeah. It it almost like it's trying to do maybe it's trying to do too much yeah. maybe it but it feels like like you said it wanted to really almost give Napoleon tiny man syndrome. Yeah, pun intended. Like it, it, it yeah. that's all it wants to do. The it, forced perspective with the shortness as well was hilarious at times. Like they were trying uh, to make yeah. Joaquin so much shorter <laughs> in certain scenes. It was hilarious. That's funny. Um, I'll read that because I, I got caught off on the whole Josephine letters, but some of the other things yeah. I wrote in terms of, you know, the small man-child syndrome going on is that he only helps the little boy with the dead dad sword when he says, oh, well, you, you're the only one that can do it. And he's like, oh, I am. Right, I'm going to go there now. Um, he doesn't hold the bait when he holds his first son. He doesn't hold the head. Yeah. Well, the, I, I don't know if it's a nurse giving him that, but she very quickly grabs his head when he won't. Mm-hmm. Um, he cuts himself while shaving. And there's like all these tiny little details amongst the performance to just make him out like a like an idiot, like a moron. <laughs> it's yeah. weird, isn't it? It's so weird. That it's like, this is the guy that in all seriousness, his ego is the reason that he goes to Russia and everything eventually falls apart. Mm-hmm. Like, he does become, like, a megalomaniac. But then, to yeah. be honest, you know, you put him in his position as a guy that was raised on a... Started on a poor island and then became emperor, got the love of his people, and then pushed pretty much Europe to its breaking point, mm. where no one had managed to get that far and conquer that much in Europe since, you know, Roman times. And to be honest, yeah. since then, I mean, Hitler didn't even get that far. Mm. Yeah, Like... And that's sort of wild to think about. And and not even in the... And the only reason people didn't like it is because it was more disrupting the status quo of yep. the time. Yep. Right. There was no anti-Semitic sentiment like there was with Hitler. It was solely the revolutionary ideals that needed to be quashed mm. because people that came from bloodlines and wealth didn't want that to... Didn't want the poor to rise up. And it's so interesting because they, they, they touch on the Robespierre and the that yeah. sort of thing at the start and that's that's Whole kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's very interesting that they they start with the Marie Antoinette stuff and I was like oh this is kind of interesting that they're, they're talking about the French Revolution and sort of how it bleeds into what spurns Napoleon to power mm-hmm. but yeah they, they don't give Napoleon any credit they don't talk about any of the the moments where like how does he actually win the love of his men because all we see is this kind of distant general that hands out a couple <laughs> of pieces of bread yeah <laughs> And it's so odd. It's so odd because yeah. it's like this is a guy that genuinely garnered love and appreciation and rose to power out of, well, yeah, military force eventually. But he, where does that start? Where does that come mm. from? And he wasn't particularly char- he wasn't charismatic in the way that like Hitler would like manipulate people. He wasn't charismatic in the way that like other leaders would like speak to crowds and like mm. rile them up. Like it was through action, it was through commitment, and it was through like a genuine like passion for. Um, the everyman and woman of the country and to portray that as like he to i don't know to for the last note to be like a basically a wikipedia doc of like <laughs> statistics of like how many people died because of what he did um 
as like the final legacy of that of this historical person yeah. like i just personally like can never take that seriously at all because it's such a boring way and a non-nuanced way to look at like an, a man's entire life um there are absolutely things to criticize to criticize and i think you can go further in certain places mm-hmm. um but to this film just had had no gray area well it's, it goes back to what you were saying zig where like the trailer it's like oh it's taking these moments where in the actual film it's essentially making fun of him and it's making him look epic to get people into the cinema mm. it kind of feels it's like a false prophet in a sense and and i feel like this is ridley scott doing his you know classic period war epic drama and with all the aesthetics of it while also trying to be a parody about you know this historical figure while also pretending to be based around the relationship with Josephine, despite the fact that neither of us have talked about Josephine in the last 30 minutes. Because <laughs> we're talking about the Wikipedia text at the end about the wartime tactics and how many people he got killed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's a confused film. I don't think it knows what it wants to say other than just, I don't like Napoleon. Yeah, because yeah. I think, to be honest, Josephine's character gets kind of summed up in a bow and within the first 10 minutes of her being on screen. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, you take it from a history point of view, like, Napoleon was pretty notorious for not being great with women and he wasn't actually that attractive, fair enough. But at the same time, and she was not faithful to him. But at the same time, when in the first 10 minutes there is this, oh, well, what do you think of him? Like, yeah, he's fine. He's got money and he's going to power. And then, you know, the maid being like, well, that should be enough for you. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, where do we go from here? Because yeah. her yeah. consensus going in was was just that. Yeah. And then and then after the first time when she's having that affair with, with Hippolyte and comes back and all of her stuff's outside and she's like, oh, no, please don't get rid of me. Like, uh, It's like, okay, then where does this relationship go from here? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think I think it's... If, if you want to take tackle the lives of Napoleon and Josephine in equal measure, that's a really interesting way, to, like I said at the start, to look at, like, their lives because they were so intertwined and they did, like, really, like, they were codependent in a lot of ways. She relied on him for, like, the public appeal and he relied on her for, like, the validation and essentially, like, that, the, the, the whole Oedipus thing with his mother as well. And essentially... They introduce Josephine and, and the scenes that we see her, like we said, are mostly with Napoleon and if not, mm. she's cheating on him. We don't really see what she's getting out of the relationship. Like no. you see like her stuff gets put in the rain. She's like, oh no, like all that sort of thing. And like I was generally see- surprised when she did that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's great. Yeah. You sleep with the other guy. What? No, you still want to... Like, yeah. I don't understand these characters. There's no, there's no understanding of it at all. And like... And... And it doesn't even... Because when she dies, and she dies off screen, which is fine, you can die off screen, but, like, when you, like, bill her as, like... It'll be in the Apple TV cut. Yeah, that's the thing. (laughs) And then you see... You cut to Napoleon, and you don't really even see it affect him all that much. Like, there's no... He's kind of... Why didn't no one tell me earlier? In real life, Napoleon was absolutely (laughs) broken. Like, that's the reason he lost the war. That's the reason it all fell apart. That's the reason he died a shriveled version of himself on on St. Helena. Um, and he also took a lot of time to reflect on himself and he talked to a lot of like British scholars and famous people of the time and reflected on his own life. Um, and all of that came as a reflection of losing the love of his life, which was Josephine to him. Um, and to try and like, I don't know, they try and tie it in at the end by like his Mm. final words, you know, were French, uh, France, army, Josephine. It's just like, it's so unearned because you haven't put the effort into making this relationship like rewarding for Napoleon at all. Like what did he actually garner out of like, an unfaithful wife who then he fobbed off so that he could have an heir. Like, I didn't see, like, <laughs> the, the friendship and kinship there is actually really important because, yes, yeah, she did, like, she was disgusted by him and, like, her personal letters to other people say that. Yeah. But there was also a lot of, like, affection for him, like, as a friend. And they try to do this thing where she's like, you're my friend. But, like, there's no Yeah, because they, 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 they essentially, you know, get that divorce. Yeah. And then... Um, very quickly after that he's visiting her at this other place mm. and I'm just I'm like wait so they're still talking to her? like I just the way they portray it is they don't it just doesn't portray yeah. it the way that you just described yeah. it there yeah like that sounds far more interesting if does she ever turn the corner that. like historically like and grow to like love him even in a platonic sense yeah, so that, that's the interesting debate historically is whether or not Josephine actually loved Napoleon is a massive debate scholarly because there are contra- there are contradicting um, pieces of information for that. Um, there, she definitely did love him, but I think in my personal opinion from what I've seen and read, more of like, you know, what can I 
get from you and also sort of in a friendship way she never was physically attracted to him mm. um she was she was slightly older and was using him for power for sure absolutely um and i i do get i do get the fear behind like portraying like a powerful woman in that way of like i'm just manipulating and using you because that's sort of like a dead boring trope mm. but that is essentially the crux of like what she was getting from the relationship fortunately that's history yeah you know you gotta you <laughs> yeah, just yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. like that's and and to be honest it, it, like you said that title card where it's like the last words all i'm sitting there is now knowing that there'll be a series coming out i'm like well that's so much easier to get those three words and earn those three words through a series yeah. because mm. we really like you said we didn't earn any of those words yeah. like i didn't i didn't see his love his patriotism and also <laughs> yeah. the birth of, of uh, some of the earliest forms of like proper nationalism, mm-hmm. like which came with the French revolution ideologies. Mm-hmm. You know, we see nationalism now in, in quite a negative, obviously subtext because of what happens in the 20th century. But prior to that, there was a lot of like, that was where a lot of the rises of, of these sort of systems came from is that yeah. genuine love for France and hating that there were people exploiting the 98%. Um, and that's kind of where that comes from. We don't see that in the film. We rarely see any form of, of that sort of love for the army, mm-hmm. apart from in this film, Napoleon just sees army as the extension of his power, really, or the, something to exploit to get him further along. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we, we cut into him being um, in one of his first like military accomplishments, um that gets him sort of his rank of brigadier general, but we don't see that acumen. There's that final scene before they do Waterloo where it's like, they've got all of them, the big map out with the flags and stuff. And we Mm. don't see any intellect. He's basically like, we just can't make sure they get to this location. Oh, it's Waterloo. You know what happens here? (laughs) Like that's all that that we're trying to get across with that shot. And that's kind of annoying because it's like, we don't see any of that intellect. He is not built intellectually at all. And that's weird because this is a guy that literally comes from nothing to being the biggest person in French history, arguably ever, Hmm. definitely in like that period of time. And it's like someone who's got, who's quite pathetic and simps over, like simps over, he's got more dimensions to him. Yeah. But this film feels flat and quite one-dimensional. Now, I was wondering for a while, when I was like, is this just Joaquin Phoenix going off the cuff, being able unable to be reined in by Sir Ridley Scott? And it, it, I think mm. the, the two moments, because the, the, again, with the boy and the sword, that, that's a cut. That's a cut that makes it clear that that's what his motivation is. So I was like, okay, that's, that's the film informing his buffoonery and his egotism and all of that. Yeah. The other one is when he's sitting in the front and there's literal bird shit just falling next. I'm like, this is such a meme now. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think that's a good point you bring up about Joaquin because I'm starting to get to the point where um, he's getting into like Ryan Reynolds' territory of like just playing a character. Of like mm. in his last few films, it had like feeling of the master in some points where it was oh, like yeah. Yeah. just, but not nearly as nuanced or yeah. like intriguing. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not like I like the master, but he's not like the reason I love the master. Yeah. It's definitely like sure. a Philip, Philip Seymour. Hoffman, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting because it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I kind of agree with you. It's I to be honest, it was it was such a it almost felt a bit lazy, but I, I sometimes feel that about Ridley. I've said this about Ridley Scott. I think yeah. I love some of his films, but some of his films, like the idea of shooting 11 cameras doesn't actually feel like interest to me. It almost feels <laughs> like, it kind of feels like, well, I've got the money to have 11 cameras going at one time. Might as well just mm. film everything at once and we'll move on. The fact that the film is only shot in 61 days. Yeah. If, uh, that's like, pretty impressive. If, if you're, sh- you're shooting with 11 cameras, right? Presumably the idea is that you want to grab something like epic that has like multiple camera angles and st- different, like interesting shots. Right. And you're trying to g- grasp the scale of things. I'm presumably right. Shoot from every angle. Like the battles feel so low scale to me, like com- in comparison, like something like Lord of the Rings battle yeah. or something, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there's just, they're nothing they're, like in the film. This is something that I had a real, real problem with. Like the film was ugly to me. Like I had this like blue washed out, look that I was just like, this is just, mm, I, I don't know. It's it emphasised the, the boredom, to be honest. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it like really, like I said, it's this, this flat, kind of almost draining colour yeah. that doesn't really create, like it doesn't give you an ick factor. It just gives you kind of like a, mm. 
<sighs> like it's just like okay, I'll like, be I'll be the one to put my hand up and say I actually really thought visually I quite enjoyed it all. Really, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just throw that it's in the first there. nice thing anyone said about this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have there are moments that I, yeah. I was like here for but to be honest I don't like I'm with you I, I think that this almost feel it does feel like an anti-French film yeah. in a lot of ways it feels like a very pro-British film like mm. this to have like you coming s- from yeah, a British director it's we, unsurprising yeah and, and he's <laughs> never shied away from his harsh opinions on, on people Sir Ridley Scott yeah um, but I, I found quite funny the film's summed up with and we made a joke about the boats but that scene where he almost has a tantrum where he's like you guys are, can't be mean because you got boats like <laughs> like it just sort of summed up what I thought the director thought of this character this nation like it yeah. was a very anti-French uprising to this period of time film I saw people trying to defend of like, oh, boats were a pretty big deal back then, and yada yada. And I was like, yeah, but it's it's. But they bullied. It's, a, it's about the performance, though. The reality, like he's very clearly is, doing, yeah. like his bow is afraid. I'm a loser, shtick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's During the, these moments, he's meant to be Napoleon. It, if if Napoleon had got on land on Britain, it's a well known fact he would have taken Britain. Mm-hmm. Like the only reason that he lost that war was because that the that the Russians stopped the. Um, the blockade that they had of all of Europe. So Britain couldn't access any food or any trade or any mm. anything off Ireland. Um, and then Russia just allowed them to use their port. And, I mean, it's a well-known mm. fact. I mean, that period of time from the, the, the 1770s all the way through to those early 1800s, Britain were just strong-arming everyone yeah. because they could, because <laughs> they had the naval power to the point yeah. where the US went, yeah, sod it, we're, we're going to become our own nation. Yeah. And that's celebrated now mm. retrospectively. Mm. Right. The Britons are the bad guys in that, whereas like in this, that somehow the French are the the bad guys. Yeah, um, it's like, it's like that meme in Back to Future is like, I guess you guys aren't ready for this, but your yeah. kids are gonna love it <laughs> <laughs> because the French famously supported the American independence as well in retaliation to the British. But mm. it's um yeah, I just I just find it very interesting. Like it's exactly what you to be honest, like. Been, we should have I, seen this coming sort of thing. Yeah, I've been yeah. looking at a lot of media like this through the eyes of like a colonial perspective recently. And like when we live in a country like Australia, I think it's really important to view history through like that colonial lens. Mm. And when I, whenever I look at the Napoleonic Wars, I just see it, see it through such like a dirty lens, like anti-independence, like mm. fear of like losing power for the elite. Like, and to portray that from like a, an essentially like a really old British man, like I probably should have seen it coming to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting, you know. And I'm going to phone it all the way back to when we watched Marie Antoinette. Yes. Um, you know, and that film, you know, what Coppola's doing with that film, she's blatantly showing the exploitation. And obviously, that I had to chuckle when the first shot of this film is her sort of in the cupboard, like waiting to get like taken. Yeah, and I laughed because I'm like, oh, we could just link the films, couldn't we? We could yeah. just have this Sophia <laughs> Coppola film. And this film, like, it's like stuff. Rogue One and the New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's great um, obviously there's, uh, there's a bit more stylism in, in what Coppola's doing in that film but yeah. it, it, it kind of sums up that that's what was happening at the time and the fact yeah. that there was this monarch and it's weird because the film like you said it has this anti sort of uh, revolutionary ideologies and, and the anti-French nationalism aspects and then it's almost like weird because when Louis comes back into the latter stages of the yeah. film He's this gluttonous, like, mm. depiction that's just sort of there when, like, all of the Dukes are together. Like, we need to take down Napoleon. And it's like, I don't know what really Scott's trying to do there because now he's gone the other way. He's like, yeah. oh, Napoleon's like the underdog that's fighting for it. I'm like, pick a side. What do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, is he, he, is he uh, William Wallace or is he, like, yeah, yeah. you is know. Is he William Wallace or is he Hitler? <laughs> like, yeah. basically, that's what you're asking. Yeah. yeah. It's funny that you bring up like Leo the Eighteenth because like fun fact is Orson Welles plays him in the wa- in the film Waterloo, and he's like oh, incredibly gluttonous in that as well. That's right. Um, yeah. Is, uh, well, I think he's got yeah, he's, yeah, but yeah. it's like interesting, isn't it? Because it was just odd. Because I I've yeah. now got to go and watch this Waterloo film because it feels like it it is such an important battle, but it it could be essentially the way to sum up everything. Like you said, the relationship yeah. with Josephine. The, the military prowess, the fact that he almost did win Waterloo if it wasn't for weather, like the fact that he was he and was the, in a yeah. yeah in a it, position yeah well, there's just like as like a history note there's this like, there's one thing that very famously lost Napoleon Waterloo 
Well, there's a couple of things. There's the weather. There's the um, the Prussians arriving on time, and but more historically accurate was the fact that his cavalry charged too early and they got stuck in with the circle formations, mm. and um, they sort of play that off as like almost like a joke where they're like Napoleon, what should we do? And he just like walks into his tent. <laughs> and then like his general just like alright I guess we'll charge now oh, like it's little things it's like when they get to Russia and he like slams his hat against yes. his head like he's like yeah. like chucking tantrums and yeah. I, just, I, like, I loved it because we had a whole thing at my cinema where the, the um, fire alarm went off the film froze and I literally the people walked in with radios to the projection we had to communicate to which part we were up to in the movie so it knocked the time out of whack so people came in expecting for the next film to about to start. And that was the scene when he's like smacking his hat and he's all pissed <laughs> off. And they're like, oh, we're in the wrong cinema, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, that, that, that just reminds me as well, like there's the the scene, of, there's two particular scenes that like betray Napoleon as like incredibly lucky and like didn't really like earn his power mm. or like his status. I think that's like the commentary from Ridley mm. Scott, which is like when the cannonball goes into the horse. So he could have died straight off the bat in a battle showing that he's, very lucky. He's just like any other. And then soldier, does right? proceeds to do nothing in that battle. Basically. Proceeds nothing in that battle. Exactly. Well, and then doesn't kill then anyone. A, a stupid, historically inaccurate shot through the hat, which I thought was so weird. Yeah, I was like, "What is this? This has to be something, surely." That's this like that like factually obviously never happened. Like it's incredibly stupid. Like I'm just like have no idea what kind of point he was trying to make there. Like whether he was trying to tie it back to like the cannibal and the horse thing or like. Because my thing was that first battle. And I, I kind of knew going in, I was like, I, I understand he's betrayed by a buffoon and blah, 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 and all of this is like, okay. But surely this is like, oh, this is like part of his character arc. Is that this is the first battle. I'm like not a history buff at all. So I'm watching this purely what the film is presenting to me. Yeah. This is his first battle. He's freaked out. He barely survives with the horse thing. He's like, oh my God, what? he's running for his life. Like, oh, this is his character arc. He's going to become brave as the film continues on, and that, that doesn't... Yeah, he, like, so, he like, grows into his role. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what I assumed was happening in that scene. Yeah. yeah. But, no. Uh, <laughs> then proceeds to not change at all throughout the entire... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's weird because it, it's so funny when that battle starts because even the prelude to it, he, like, says, I have a plan to get into the fort. And it, the plan works... And then on top of that, he gets, like, the men to clean up cannons and stuff. So yeah. we, we actually, at first, it's like, oh, we're building to... This is him coming up and devising this plan. We're starting to see this military mind blown. Mm. And then the battle happens, and we're like, oh, no, he's just a... Like, he's depicted as now lucky. Like, he kept changing gears almost. It was, it was polarizing, what do we want Napoleon to be in this film? And ends up being nothing more than bored and, and childish. I think when he kind of does a pulls a godfather part three and just kind of falls off his chair and dies it's oh, like i'm like so lazy so i'm like lazy. i could not care less about this cat, by the way. and i yeah. thought about something like amadeus yep and it's like how invested you get into that story and those characters and what happens to those characters yep compared to here it's like oh, i couldn't i could not care less i i had a really really good conversation with my girlfriend about this at the end mm. of, of the end of the day because she she's studied history and anthropology and all this sort of thing and so oh, like the, to, the talk around like death and like especially with these figures like people like napoleon where they're so powerful same thing with hitler and all like these great leaders they all wanted immortality they all wanted to figure out like like how could they like live forever and like what mm. was the idea of their lives right rarely did they ever get the chance to reflect on their lives right think of all the great men of history alexander caesar um all these types of people they never they all die mm. in unexpected really quick ways they don't get the chance to reflect upon themselves yeah napoleon's one of the great people of history who actually spent the last like three years of his life literally like reflecting, reflecting on every single battle writing like critical analysis of where things went wrong understanding like his own faults as a person like his own uh how he screwed up his marriage and like all this sort of things and like actually reflecting upon himself and like there's so much interesting stuff you can explore with that of like someone who's trapped, like mm. physically removed from the place where he shares such an inseparable identity. I like, mean, that could be the film right there. That's is a, you start the film in that final exile. Yeah. With I've, him I've at wanted his to make a short film age. like that forever. Yeah, on, on and then that's how but, uh, you you flash back and forth to but, these yeah. times. Like, oh my god, it writes itself. Yeah. Jesus, Ridley, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead, he just took the. 
the cookie cutter. But if yeah. anything, he, he but it sums up that you're you know you're 100 right and to kind of join the two worlds. I mean that's what Amadeus does. Does mm. it does it? Uh, you know yeah, after exactly. And and Amadeus is interesting because Amadeus is just a couple film in its own right. It's the relationship between yeah. two composers. So it's the exact same, and yet we understand... It's covering understand. a lot of material, but it, it funnels it through a very clear narrative, which is like Salieri, he, he he's upset and angry against God for what he's done, and he's going to take it out on Mozart. Yeah. And that's the mission and the story right there. Simple, plain, yeah. easy. And, and we follow, you know, once again, it, chronolo- it, it follows that history, so we get the history points. Yep. We get the turning point for Mozart what, when it falls apart, when his father dies. You know, we we and and even the relationship developing between Salieri and and Mozart and that and it's so great because yeah. it builds perfectly and that is the same thing. It's a man at the end of his life reflecting on on all that sort of that has happened, and it, it's exactly where you should start with this sort of film. How do, how do we get to France War, Josephine, mm. yeah. from yeah. the man sitting there for three years in his second exile? Well. Mm. I mean, if, if that's not where that series, that Spielberg series starts, mate. What are you doing? Exactly. Well, no, we're just waiting <laughs> for the Stephen Clark film. That's what we're waiting for. There you go. We want it. <laughs> Honestly, like, it's it's kind of like, like, I've always wanted to make a film called St. Helena, which is just based on, like, like he had, like, this very famous, like, relationship with, like, um, the British um, soldiers that, like, kept him guard. He mm. actually became, like, like they, they kind of play into it at the end where he's talking to the guards on the ship and stuff. Yeah. But he actually became, like, best friends with all the people that guarded him, and they, like, respected him so much that they would call him, like... Um, Emperor Napoleon and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's just interesting enough in and of itself to be a short film or a film or anything. But um, to barely explore that is just so stupid. We get it's that. There, there, is a, there is a series that did um, tell Napoleon's life. Um, it's, I can't remember what it's called, but I think it's in French. And basically, it's really cool. It's on St. Helena. And it's about the children of like the government people that lived on mm. St. Helena and he was just this old random dude who lived on the island and they were like he would like tell them battle ben stories Ben Kenobi yeah basically Ben <laughs> Kenobi and like he would like like re- relay his story as Napoleon like through like um he would like That's tell sick. one episode was like him telling a part of the story and then like the next episode would be the next story that he would tell the kids yeah. and that was really cool and it's just like why take the cookie cutter approach to doing these biopics know, man this so linear <laughs> boring yeah. I flip it and flop. Fasts everything I keep it does. Flipping and flopping with Ridley Scott. Yeah, I, I just 50-50. I genuinely, I don't. There aren't many films in the post two thousand world that Ridley Scott's made that I like. Like, what can we name them? What what ones would you like? Last Jewel. Last Jewel was Last great. Jewel was good. I liked The Martian. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I very much enjoy The Martian. I, fi- I always forget that's him. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. yeah. Probably say that's it. It's probably about it, really. I mean, don't like, like any of his alien. We thought no, this. He's, no, he's new aliens. Uh, <laughs> We thought we thought this Terrible. could be a last jewel and ended up being a house of Gucci. A good year. I will say House of Gucci is Robert way Hood. more boring than Napoleon. Really? I will even say that, yes. Wow, that's pretty I didn't see it. Like but... I literally oh, it's the worst film. I literally so made bad. a joke in the I think I saw it with Damien actually. I, at some random point, I just turned it on. Like, man, we've only got seven hours left, and he just died laughing. <laughs> it was, it was so it. true. It was just it went on forever. <laughs> they had the telethon screenings, and it was a free one for House of Gucci. And Luce and I went, and we just we got halfway through and went, "Thank God this was free," because like, <laughs> I would not have paid money to see House of Gucci. Oh, well. Was- Boys, let's. I feel really bad, Stephen, for your final episode of the Cinema Science Podcast. Be a film where we kind of just dunked on it the whole time. Yeah, that's fun. We've had a good dunking in ages. But let's end it on a high note. Boys, do you have any highlight scenes from the film? It's a good question. Because I always do like, like, there are a lot of redeeming qualities of any film. Like, I yes. think as filmmakers, we can all appreciate the heart and sweat and tears that go into making a film of any shape or size, let alone something as big as this. So, so there mm. are redeeming qualities. I mean, this is a massive scope film shot in 61 days. Like, that is genuinely impressive. Because 90% of the problems we have with this film are to do with the script. Yeah. And, yeah, the, and the, the portrayal. Yeah, of, and the portrayal, yeah. But, like, the crew that worked... I mean, like, I said it earlier, I think a lot of the battles are really great. I enjoy the visuals for it. The sound design was excellent. Especially some of... I mean, I saw it at Whitford's. They have an insane sound system there and, like... Just some of the cannon fires and the way that sort of surrounds the I thought that was all amazing. So my my highlight scene would probably be the Battle of Austerlitz, which Austerlitz, is yeah. Austerlitz, which um obviously the one the the ice they yeah. all fall through. Like mm. I, I just 
I I know there's there are better ways to block it and to frame yeah. it and to all of those things, but I. I was like, these are easily the best parts of the film for me. Yeah, I'm, and and to echo that, probably my highlight scene are those those occasional sequences where I'm like, oh, this actually does help with the pacing. I really liked the in the Waterloo battle the mm. scouts scenes with the double horses and having oh, them yeah. run and check the sort of the pacing. I thought that that was a really good way. If the rest of the battle didn't feel as clunky, mm. they would be really good sort of. Ways of oh well we you know they've got the Prussians incoming, um and we they're really good ways of doing it. Even just having the two horses and then having the the character jump onto the second horse to ensure that they're moving mm. at the quickest pace. I was like, well, there's a really good historical sort of touches, but yeah. um other than that, maybe maybe uh God, I couldn't even. I really do <laughs> struggle. I think yeah. I I think I think for me probably like. When the, at one point I thought that the film was gonna like veer into like borderline like Death of Stalin territory, right? With like the Robespierre stuff and like the coup d'état and like just how sort of like incompetent and like uh, just really like gross it all is, and they're yeah. all like sort of like they're crawling and grasping to power and all that sort of like people are getting murdered in the Senate and stuff like that, like Julius Caesar sort mm. of style. Um, and, like, Napoleon's getting, like, chased out of, like, rooms and threatened to get murdered. And, that was, <laughs> and I kind of, like, it was, like, from, like, a Death of Stalin perspective sort of thing. Right. Where, like, it's just the chaos of, like, uh, revolution. I did sort of enjoy, like, that sort of, like, 10 to 15 minutes. Mm. Um, yeah, but apart from that, it's pretty bleak. Yeah. I, mean, it, I think, it, yeah, it goes back to, I think, this is the style of this film does not fit the 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 type of film it is, which is, you know, the critique and the mocking and the... Go full comedy. If you want well, to mock, exactly. just go full comedy. Exactly. Like, why... Why? That's a broader conversation about why directors, specifically people like Ridley Scott, so afraid to take, like, a like a strong comedy approach. Yeah. Like, we rarely see guys like that take, like, a... Like, well, like Mel Brooks' approach of just, like, mm. satirizing something completely. But I haven't... Yeah. Said, like, I mean, The Martian's probably the, the most comedic I think I've ever seen mm. Ridley Scott push... Because then if he, he can't do ro- like romance films because a good year is like pathetic, <laughs> um, and I don't know. I mean, like he he made a really you know we all really like Alien. It's a really good bottle sci-fi horror. Yeah, I I don't I don't know. I really don't know. With I genuinely think Tony Scott was more consistent <laughs> in his life. It's my hot take. Man, I, like, I think I like. Rest in peace. I think I like Tony Scott films more consistently than mm. I like Ridley Scott films. Yeah. I think I think Blade Runner is a masterpiece, but it's like then then I'll, yeah, for every Blade, Runners, Blade yeah, Runner, I amazing. get a like good year. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or, and I just like whereas if I think of Tony Scott, I'm like, well, I think all of his films that I've seen have just been good films. Yeah, right? yeah even if they may not be as iconic, but no, Top Gun's pretty iconic. But... Yeah, yeah, like you said, Man on Fire is really Man good. Man on Fire, yeah. Uh, yeah. Even, um, what's that, Days of Thunder? It's really solid. Oh, okay. It's a solid film. Nice. It's a, it's actually really strange, Jake. I just reached over to your thing, and right next to each other are The Martian and Man on Fire. There you go. <laughs> Scott and Scott. <laughs> there Scott you go, Scott, right next to each other. I got oh. that copy of Man on Fire, because you may notice it's a DVD, not a Blu-ray. Yeah. That came, I think, with my copy of Max Payne 3. The video game, which is so there is a time when EB Games would just give movies away with the when you buy EB Games, games. is giving anything away right now. Their sales yeah. are just ridiculous. This is like, like ten, $10 years ago, ten dollars a game now. Black Friday, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think like that's the like, let's not get into games. No, no, no. We're we're <laughs> no. well we're well past that. Um, well, Napoleon currently out in cinemas near you. 